Hello and welcome to the final Portrait of an Icon podcast in this series from Oculus Books. I'm Chris Nee, and I'm joined again by Portrait of an Icon author Daniel Story. Dan, we've come to the end of our run. Uh, why don't you remind us why your book is connected to the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation? Proceeds in the book will go to the foundation, uh, which was started uh, in Sir Bobby's final months after a request from his oncologist to try and raise some money for a drug trial centre in the northeast. Uh, he made the target within seven weeks, and as of September 2016, they ticked over the £10 million mark. So the idea is that the book will sell very well and will raise lots of money to find new ways to treat and beat cancer. And our colleague David Hartrick is back with us again to profile a man as unique as football has ever produced. Uh, Dave, I'll let you do the plug and honours this week. It is Mr. Johan Greif. Say no more. Stop there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> switch the recorder off. Uh, yeah, the, the focus of this week's podcast was a true giant of the game who made his mark as both a player and a manager, and more besides. And he did incredible things in both of those roles. So, I mean, one place we could have ended this really, I think, out of the six of them. Um, Dan, we certainly don't need to be told why Cruyff is in the book, but why did you pick him as one of the six we focused on for the podcast? He's a pillar of the game. He's arguably the pillar, and he's arguably the football icon. Um, he might not be the best player that's ever played the game, although there's an argument for it. Um, but he's certainly emblematic of many things that make football great and make football football popular. He was a player, as you say. He was a coach, as you say. He was a philosopher. He was not an inventor of anything, because that's not how football works, but he was more influential than perhaps anyone else in the progression and the creation of the, what we can term in inverted commas, modern game. Uh, Dave, Cruyff the player, mm. already seemed to be thinking further ahead in terms of the overall full f- football picture than a lot of the players he was playing with and against. That gave him a sort of natural leadership, didn't it? He was always head and shoulders above Played yeah. around it from almost the very beginning. I wouldn't say leadership. I would say it gave him an individuality. Yeah, and an an individuality that he was more than happy to nurture and took with him throughout his career. He, if you, we we we're talking and recording this at the moment where Ronaldo and Messi are still playing. Cristiano Ronaldo, of course. Where you put them in the pantheon, when we look back, you know, Messi might be top. But at the moment, as we stand, in terms of retired players, you've got Pele, you've got Maradona, and then for me, third of that is Cruyff. But Pele and Maradona, they've not left the legacy that Cruyff has. They've not left the footprint on football that Cruyff has. And as a player... He was fortunate enough to find a manager in Renus Michels who nurtured him, who indulged him, and who created a system in part down to Cruyff himself that was the first of Cruyff's footballing revolutions that he was part of. Dan, the profile in the book indicates one of the theories behind why Cruyff thought about football mm. in a more advanced way. Yeah, there's a there's a really lovely quote from Marco van Basten, which is that um, Cruyff was so good at the technical side of the game that it forced him to think about other things. 
by which he means tactics. And I really like that because it sort of sells this idea that Cruyff completed, if you like, the incompletable. He completed the technical aspects of the game. So it gave him time and space within his mind to think about other things. And there's a line I use in the piece, which is that the rest try and improve their game and Cruyff improve the game because Mm. there was nothing to improve in his game. And I really like that. And I like that idea because to me, it explains everything that came afterwards. And it also, it means we can't talk about Cruyff the player without talking about Cruyff the coach. You can't talk about Mm. Cruyff the coach without talking about Cruyff the thinker and philosopher because they are all intertwined. And I really like that. I like the idea that that his playing career was not separate from his management career. It was just merely the start of that process. Mm. And because you're right, there was so much thought on the pitch because he was able to do everything so quickly while everyone else was thinking about things. Cruyff was two, three, four, five moves ahead. Mm. If we do try and isolate him as a player, what what was he stylistically though? What type of player would you say? He was an unbelievably modern footballer. He would he I uh, I've mentioned this to people before. As somebody who does watch a lot of old football, you look at the good players from that day and they were Excellent players in that situation, but realistically, if you pick them up and plot them into a Premier League side now, they would struggle on so many levels. Johan Cruyff wouldn't. He he was a quintessential, flexible, attacking midfielder, can play anywhere across the front three if you want him to, can drop back into midfield, can do it from a deeper line position, can be a figurehead. He was all of that in the 1970s, genuinely, and... His his talent was such that he could not only take a game and win it himself if he wanted to, if he didn't want to do that, he could take a game and force others to win it for him. He was Pelé was a brilliant player on so many levels. Maradona was a brilliant player on so many levels. Cruyff created the levels he was brilliant at. That's the difference. Dan, when I was, I did a bit of research just to kind of get my head into the world of Johan Cruyff before before talking um, to you guys about him today. I discovered this thing. I don't know if you've heard of it. Apparently, there was a Cruyff turn at one point. <laughs> <laughs> that was a real moment in time, but also a demonstration of the guy's ability to create various strands of legacy. Yeah. the 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 one word that comes up when you read and research and hear about Cruyff's playing and coaching career is simplicity. It is about the Cruyff turn was an incredible piece of skill that had never been seen before, but it was not skill as affectation. It was not skill for its own sake. It was his means and his brilliant means of achieving exactly what he wanted to do, which was leaving his man behind in as most efficient way as possible. And because he had that brilliant technical skill, he could innovate on, on the cusp. These are not things that were constantly practised. Mm-hmm. These were things that were done ad hoc, but brilliantly. And that's exactly what that skill was. And and when I talk about the evolution player to manager, it's exactly in that. It's that idea of the greatest way, the most aesthetically pleasing way to get from A to B efficiently. And that's what Cruyff was, and that's what he did in that turn. Yeah, it, the simplicity is really key in that. We talk about the Cruyff turn, and as a kid, you're sort of fascinated by the concept of a player who you're too young to have seen having something named after him. And then mm. when you see it, you look at it and think, 
I, I can do that. Yeah. Mm. And you can. You are taught that. And when you go to soccer schools as a kid and you're coached mm. as a kid, you are taught the Cruyff term and anybody can do it. Yeah. But it's, it, that's what makes it so special and seeing it for the first time. It probably did make people think, oh, but it you, can just, you can just do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, it, it makes you, what Cruyff did to me, watch, and obviously not seeing him live, but watching him back over and over again, as Dave said, he, he, he genuinely pushed back the boundaries of what we consider possible. What we consider possible for a winger was beating his man with dribbling skill. What we didn't consider possible was leaving a man, an international defender, so floundering so much that he didn't know what time of the day it was. Yeah, I, I think you've got to understand that Cruyff was flourishing at a time when your two least gifted players you put at fullback and you put at winger because their job was basically to run fast and try and get the ball into the box. Cruyff completely changed that perception, completely altered. He, he literally changed how people thought about two sides of the football pitch, <laughs> which sounds, sounds when I think it's difficult for a, a generation today to understand because there hasn't been a player since who's done it. There is Messi, there is Ronaldo, but they, they are still in Cruyff's footprints. They are still running in his shadow. The two clubs that come to mind, of course, as a player uh, are Ajax Barcelona for very obvious reasons. Um, just to make sure we are ticking all the boxes here. Did all right there, didn't he? Yes, <laughs> not too bad. Uh, six titles, three consecutive European Cups at Ajax. World record fee to Barcelona where he wins La Liga in his first season and that the first time they'd won it for, I think, 12 years. Um, born into Ajax... Joined the club at ten. Future stepfather would become would be the club assistant groundsman that sort of thing. Very much born into Ajax, grew up at Ajax, grown up at Barcelona, and Dave will talk long and long into the night about it. But Cruyff is one of those players that when he wears the Ajax shirt, when he wears the Barcelona shirt, when he wears that Netherlands shirt, it just fits. There, there could fits nice. There could be nowhere else that Cruyff could have played other than those three clubs and briefly joined Ajax's rivals mm. um, those consecutive European Cups it doesn't sound a lot when you say it like that it's not that common is it? No. no there are some clubs iconic clubs that have done similar things made similar achievements um, two isn't similar uh, <laughs> it was quite something you know even for a club of Ajax's stature Dave that, that was yeah, you know, to do that, that three times in a row is stunning they were they were vying at the time with what had been a great Munich side and what would become a great Munich side, and the part of the I I think it's honestly underplayed, and part of the reason is because they didn't have a real definitive iconic performance in a final. The, the, by the time they got to the final, to be perfectly honest with you, it was pop and crisp. There was absolutely no danger of them not winning the European Cup. And a lot of their best performances, like people talk about the night that um, they absolutely took Liverpool apart and there's there's lots of other games that people talk about. But these weren't the days of... This was even pre-your grandstand showing mm. really brief European football highlights. So they played at a time when football was unattainable. And even in Holland, not every game was shown. You know, they weren't televising every single Ajax game, even in in Champions League, uh, European Cup. So 
a lot of the really truly great performances have been lost to time and I think that that in some people's mind that seems to discredit the achievement and it shouldn't it's absolutely massive I mean since we, we're sitting here now and at the time of recording nobody has retained a Champions League title and we don't know what's going to happen this season but that just shows you to not do it once but twice is just incredible incredible did a bit international level as well of course <laughs> um, he he had a very impressive legendary time as a player in the Netherlands team probably mm. the greatest ever Netherlands team Mm. Certainly, the one that is the most sort of famous for its developments and the way it played. Um, it had its spiky side as well, didn't it, Dan? And, mm. and that's a, something that's continued through Dutch football history. But um, Cruyff has never been entirely apart from that side of the, the Dutch football psyche. No, Johan Cruyff was a very strong personality, very strong-willed. Um, was sure about what was right and what should be done and was not shy in coming forward to express that he was also what he 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 talks about the idea of being gallant losers in 1974 but there is no doubt that that was a very low moment because Mm -hmm. the idea of should in football is very subjective but many people can agree it would have been fitting for the netherlands to win that world cup 1978. He, the initial story was that he wouldn't play in the in the um, wouldn't play in the World Cup because of political reasons. It actually turned out he'd been subject to a kidnap attempt with his family, and therefore he wasn't feeling 100 percent for it. But even between that, you're right. Spiky is the word. Johan Cruyff was not afraid to fall out with people, and that's kind of made him what great, made him brilliant because. He had principles, he had philosophies, and the only way he was going to achieve the things he did achieve later on in his career was by sticking to his guns. Total football wasn't his idea. No, no. But he was a key player in implementing it on the field. Mm. Does he take more credit than other players because of his outlook? I think he receives more credit for two reasons. Firstly, because he was a more modern example as Dave said a very modern footballer and a very modern thinker so he was a to make an analogy he was a messenger of that religion you had the hungry side of the 1950s you had Vic Buckingham passing it down to Regis Michels who passed it down to Johan Cruyff who then passed it down to this generation i.e. Pep Guardiola etc that clearly is going to make Cruyff notorious for that the other reason I think he was so successful is because he ensured through his actions that his way would live on. And by that, I mean the academy system at Barcelona, La Masia. Pep Guardiola talks about Cruyff building the Barcelona Cathedral and everyone else just renovating it. And it kind of does feel like that at Barcelona, Mm. even now. So I think that's the main way he is still remembered. But he's also still remembered because he was such a brilliant player and therefore he was worth listening to. So Mm. that, that force of of reputation meant that people listened to Jan Cruyff and he realised that. So when you combine those two things, it was always clear that his was going to be the statue. His was going to be the lasting legacy over, even over Remus Michels. His his cross to bear was that he would never be able to play in another team with a Johan Cruyff. That was, that was his problem. And you can understand where some of that, when you think about things differently, but also has 
the ability to put those things into practice and other people don't and I mean this on his co- in his coaching career as well because let's be honest that spikiness carried all the way through his coaching career as well you can understand why there's a level of frustration in there because his baseline is so much higher than almost anybody else who has ever played the game of football mm. If we take 1974 as the example, does total football have the impact it had if Michel didn't have Cruyff at his disposal? No, because the thing is, the thing you sort of have to understand is that every movement needs a figurehead. And when you look back at footballing cycles, you can go right back to the sort of the, the coffee shop movements in sort of Austria and Switzerland which had Sindler as their sort of icon you can look at the Magyars who had a couple you know mm. Pushkas and Heide Guti and various others you need that player who can completely understand what the manager wants and add to it and create between them it becomes it, it's like it's like writing a recipe down isn't it you can you can write give a recipe to a chef but he will then take it away and perfect it and get that perfect balance of everything else and Cruyff is that figurehead that went and perfected the recipe basically so no I don't think it does the differences with Cruyff is I think in a lot of these revolutions he's the one who's been quite happy to make sure he's been front and centre of the talk about it and if he's not front and centre of the talk about it he will say something about that as well Dan was he a, a throwback to that coffee shop culture yeah absolutely in terms of raw innovation mm. at a time when it wasn't being done there's two things I think that set Cruyff above others firstly is his development of an existing idea of total football and supercharging it, Mm. his minute individual tactical and strategical decision-making and instructions to players was groundbreaking. And secondly, I think, is because of his idea of football as education, this idea of a system, which goes back to La Masia Mm. Academy, that you could teach people to play a system and if you got the right people in place and you gave them the right technical credentials and you got the right coaches in place you could create a dynasty no one else was really thinking about that quite a lot of managers before him were they were innovators but they were innovators for their team Cruyff had enough um, personal pride actually he wanted to be seen as a legacy maker he wanted Mm. to leave a dynasty and that was a personal that was as much about being charitable to the next generation as it was about wanting the kudos for himself yeah. but he did so he created this um, this the conveyor belt at Barcelona he created it at the, the, the best and the most famous club in the world that still lasts to this day and, he, and, and as you say Dave he was not afraid to take credit for that that single playing Spanish title at Barcelona was knocked into a cock hat as coach wasn't it Dave that, that early spell mm-hmm. as coach with Barcelona was uh, very successful indeed. Yeah, and I think as as a player, there are an awful lot of mitigating reasons why he only got that one title in Spain that some we're still not allowed to talk about to this day. But when he went in there as a coach, it, it's it's we talked in the Ronaldo profile a little bit about expectation. When he went into Barcelona as a coach, there was not only a level of of 
expectation, but anticipation. And this was a club who were desperate, absolutely desperate to become a super club. They believed themselves a super club, but to be frank, again, for slightly mitigating reason, let's be honest, they didn't have the trophy cabinet to back it up. They, they did not have it. And Cruyff comes in, revolutionises the place. Bear in mind he was also working with constraints on foreigners, etc. So he had to be quite picky and choosy with who he used. And yeah, he, he came in and he revolutionised the club from top to bottom. And what fascinates me about Cruyff is he was able to put all of himself into what was happening right now and build a successful team that went out there and won trophies and won European Cup but also put things, all the other things in around it. The the energy involved in that is astounding. Mm. His involvement in football mm-hmm. extended beyond his career as a coach, shall we diplomatically put it that way. Yeah. Um, is it fair to say that he developed a knack for rubbing people up the wrong way at the, at the clubs that he adored yes. after he's essentially left? Yes. I'd like to think that he did so for the right reasons. I'd like to think that, in fact, I know that he looked at Ajax, he saw what was happening at Ajax, and it deeply disappointed him. And you can see why. This is a player for whom simplicity in football, playing the game, in getting things in the right places and letting great things happen was everything to do with his ethos. So when he looks at a club where he, you know, he's born five five minutes away, he grew up on the streets playing by the stadium, he was went to the club at 10. When he saw Ajax effectively shooting themselves in the foot, wasting potential, it's no surprise that it was going to get up, you know, yeah. it was going to get him riled. And it was equally no surprise that having got him riled, he was going to make that note because that was Cruyff. He had yeah. no qualms about speaking up. He was given ambassadorial roles, he was given director roles, and he constantly, in his autobiography, he constantly reinforces the message that he was not listened to. And he also reinforces the message that if he had have been listened to, things would be a, a lot different now. Mm. And when you look at a club like Ajax now, it's very difficult to doubt him. Yeah, and it's, it, it can leave a slightly bad taste because he bore grudges. He didn't forgive people their misfortunes particularly easily. And we live in a world now where I things like that are amplified even more so. And... Um, it's it's a shame, really, but you have to understand that without that side of him, you don't get all the other things as well. Mm. You know, you, you genuinely don't. I'll leave the last word to you, Dan. Mm. Are we talking about football's greatest post-war thinker or even greatest ever thinker? I think we're certainly talking about the greatest ever combination of player coach, thinker, greatest all-round footballer. And I use football inverted commas there, not just player, but in terms of the wider game, yes, I think we are. And we'll leave it there. That's a a good place to end it. That's the end of the podcast and indeed the series. I think we can safely say that Johan Cruyff broke the mould. Thank you, Dan and Dave. Thank you. Thank you for the the previous 5-2. Portrait of an Icon is available to buy from oddlybooks.co.uk now.